and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this, the darkest timeline. I'm Lord Commander Ulrich, and with me as always is... His shield brother, Axel Wright. How you doing today, Axel? Same as I was last week, which is to say, generally terrible, but I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> all right. Well, today we are joined by a longtime friend of the podcast, Wunvog. Wunvog, what's up? Oh, mostly just Monster Hunter World. It's been a lot of fun, and I've... Only had it for about three weeks, and I've already sunk over 100 hours into it. Have they dropped any DLC for that yet? Some. They've added a few more monsters, and every now and then they do special festivals and events to add new things. So what uh, you're saying is, I can blame it for not seeing you, because I miss you! <laughs> Effectively, yes. I've been kind of just growing as a lump on my bed playing the game. Hmm. There are worse <laughs> things to become. Well, I know that uh, a lot of my other friends are, are getting absorbed into it. Wretched was telling me that the, the PC version comes out like this week, and he's going to, and I quote, lose weeks of his life to it. So Yes, it will be out tomorrow, and I know a lot of people are excited. I've never heard of a PC getting a release afterwards. Typically, it's the other way around, or at the same time. Yeah, but now the publishers, essentially, that are behind the consoles have more uh, weight, essentially to, you know, kind of tell, uh, dictate the terms to the people who design the games. Hmm? Yes, that makes sense. That's so, why I don't get, a, that's why I don't get a, a proper PC version of Bloodborne. I will hold out hope forever, and it's going to be a false hope. But still, I'll have it. You and your Dark Souls nonsense. So have we all seen the Titans trailer at this point? No. I don't yeah. <laughs> yeah, I did. Oh. I know, I though, honest, miss I, much. on the opposite I just... <laughs> of that, uh, I was surprised that, um, I know, Woundvog, I know you went and saw it, and also all the uh, the critics are saying that the Teen Titans Go-Woo is actually pretty good, which is neat to hear. Yeah, I, I went and saw it by myself after work uh, a few days ago, and it was genuinely funny. It had me laughing pretty hard through a the good The actually it. look amusing. I was kind that... of catching myself laughing. Yeah, I've heard I, that it's good in the same way that like the Lego movie is good. Oh yeah, it it just it just makes some good fun at the entire hero genre as a franchise and I would say go check it out because like if anything you get to hear Nicolas Cage as Superman and that's wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> well, basically just to catch you up there Axel I think the general agreement is... Oh, I, I know about it. Was a, it. it was a bad trailer, but... I, I'm aware of it. <laughs> well, this is, I don't know how you can not be aware of it, because there are people that are like, oh my god, this is what DC should have been. Like, you drank no. the Kool-Aid, didn't you? I, I don't know, the second I heard the that Robin says, like, fuck Batman in it, I, I was like, okay, if that was Jason Todd or Damian Wayne, I could buy it. But if it's Teen Titans and that's Dick Grayson... Uh, Which it is. That just... I don't know. Maybe that's it like... It feels unnecessary. Nerd. Maybe it's geek entitlement or some bullshit like that coming from me, but that just feels so wrong to Dick Grayson's character. So, yeah. I talked and, about it in the Comic-Con episode, and it just feels like it's a kid try doing what they think adult is. Yeah. And it's... Oh. I don't know. I'll wait till I hear some people I trust like see it and um, decide whether I want to give my time to it or not. Because I'm not going to write it off, you know, instantly. There have been plenty of things that I thought were going to be terrible that turned out to be good. The most recent example being Black Lightning, obviously. Yeah, I was going to say Black Lightning. So 
Yeah, but I gotta uh, first decide whether I want to even devote any time to it. So if I hear some average things, I'll devote time to it. Yeah, I'm not super hopeful for it, but the watching the entire trailer, I just I got the vibe of again going back to Teen Titans Go. There's a joke song about getting super serious, and the entire episode is about them taking the idea of being serious way over the top and just mocking it. And it kind of felt like the trailer. Hmm. Yeah, no, I gotta agree. But, I mean, it's all supposed to sell us on going out and buying the DC streaming service, but that didn't do you it. Know, they want to sell me on the DC streaming service, and they shouldn't have let Netflix get their hands on Young Justice, should they? Oh, Netflix has Young Justice? Uh, not anymore, sadly. But they did oh. release... They did release the trailer for season three, which will be on the service, and that ah. does interest me. Well, there you go. Say, I thought they got it for the service. Well, see, I knew that Netflix had saved it when it got canceled. I didn't hear that it got back to them for the service, so that's news to me. But as I just pointed out, that's enough to get me interested because Young Justice is amazing. It is, and it was more – once it got put on Netflix, uh, popularity for it went through the roof because uh, – it was more accessible to a wider audience, and a lot more people got interest and said, why was this canceled? <laughs> True enough. Stupid reasons. So I figured that's a great opportunity to talk about you know, some DC cartoons that I'm not sure if all of these are going to be on the streaming service, but they got to bulk it out somehow, and what better way than with nostalgic cartoons? That would be a sure. good idea. Yeah, I mean, that's. I was thinking about the... We're getting into an age where there's going to be tons of competing streaming services. Like Netflix has been king. Netflix and Hulu have been like the reigning kings for it feels like four or five years at this point. Maybe probably a little more. more than that. But... Yeah, but like being super in the limelight, I would say. Yeah. Like, but now that we're getting more and more like competitors, you know, DC stream service, obviously Disney's going to have like two different streaming services or some shit. Um, we're talking one right now, but. They're also talking about if you get the Disney streaming service, you also get ESPN and Hulu. My, my maybe point, discount, maybe uh, as a bundle. My point is, I'm not gonna have like forty bucks a month going to having like you know five to six different streaming services. I'm gonna have one, maybe two, and it's gonna come down to what has the largest selection of stuff I care about. And so yeah. generally, Netflix usage. Yeah, you use it to watch new stuff sometimes, especially with something like Netflix giving out their own original programming, which tends to be some of the best stuff on Netflix, i found. But a lot of the times with these streaming services, it's about finding something that you already like and then just like binging it. Like when I watch the entirety of Star Trek again on, on Netflix, you know, things like that. So having old cartoons that, you know, are have fan bases already as part of your streaming services have big... Uh, a big hook. Yeah, and I actually talked to uh, my roommate, Denim, about that as well, more specifically with uh, Disney streaming service, that if they put on a lot of their old stuff from, like, the Disney afternoon, uh, oh, like yeah. like DuckTales, Darkwing have. Duck, uh, Gargoyles, I'm like, yeah, that would interest Tailspin. me watching it for a bit. Yeah, Tailspin, too. <laughs> I can still sing the theme song. Goddamn. <laughs> We're not here talking about Disney. We're getting off topic. What what we're going to talk about? Uh, DC cartoons, I guess. Oh, yeah. Damn you, Disney, infiltrating our podcast with your awesome TV shows. 
They are Disney. everywhere, and soon Disney's they will be everyone. God. Exactly, an outer god. But so, DC cartoon. I will lead this charge by talking about when I. So, growing up, uh, we mentioned when we did our Marvel cartoon episode, which Woundvog joined us for as well, that um, DC really owned the animation uh, side of like superhero stuff. When, during our childhood, I feel like like Marvel had you know a handful of good shows and some like really spectacular ones like X Men and the old Spider Man stuff, but DC like had a lot more going on and particularly DC um, animation had it together. Yeah, now there are a lot of like things you can point to. There's really one show that was specifically I'd say the the starter for the the big like golden age when we were growing up, but I'm not. For me, the big ones that I cared about the most, not the best ones, just the ones I liked the most, were Batman Beyond and Static Shock. And I feel like Batman Beyond uh, is, because it's connected to Batman, is a little more, I don't know, mainstream. I hate using that word. (laughs) but uh, Because even Batman Beyond isn't. It's pretty, like, niche. But um, but I want to talk about Static Shock instead, because, like, I adored Static Shock, and it started off as, you know, not even like a DC property. It was a Milestone comics and then got kind of absorbed into DC. Like, I believe, if I remember correctly, my uh, my timeline, the show actually existed when Milestone was still its own thing. Like, they, they connected the animation to DC animation later on, but it was originally just, you know, just static. And uh, it was supposed to be the Dakotaverse, which was like all Milestones, like various things, which I don't really know that well, but I know that a lot darker too. Uh, the actual comics, yeah, but I haven't read a whole. I've only read a couple static comics, not a lot, so I don't. I don't know a whole lot about it. I just know that the show was on um, when I got home from school a lot, and th- so there's this concept I want to. That's hard to explain, but uh, anime tends to do it really well uh, in general. The the good anime, like where they'll have a character or a set of characters with a, a set of powers or a specific power that is very simply defined and each battle or each new you know big thing is about finding new interesting ways to do to use that power the reigning king of this is one piece where luffy's stretch power has been taken to ludicrous levels of creative and, and weird in, in oh, the current but when you go on for 9000 episodes it's bound to happen you get you got you get creative. Like okay, well, we're on episode nine thousand nine hundred and eighty nine. What haven't we done? Yeah. Now the reason I bring this up is because I feel like uh, for a long time, and there's better about this now, but still, Western superhero stories don't do this a whole lot. Like Superman, you could argue did it, but really he just comes. He would come up with new powers. Uh, Batman would just come up with new gadgets. It's not the same thing as taking an already set power set and being like different with the the king of dc doing this is probably the flash where they'd find ridiculous ways to use super speed but growing up static was the first like superhero i saw do this uh his power is basically control over the electromagnetic spectrum already i was like you mean a character in a in a comic story who understands their power controlling electricity also means controlling magnetism because it's the same goddamn force because for the record, that drives me crazy when I see that. Uh, so already I was like interested just because of that. Um, before I go too deep into it, do you guys have a lot of experience with Static? Um, I remember being on. I remember watching it. I remember it had a couple crossovers with Justice League. 
And that's about it. I've watched a good chunk of it myself. Uh, I I always liked the idea of uh, you know what started his like what got his powers and showing that some of the mutations that led from it kind of ruined a lot of people's lives. And yes, it it took some it took some more serious notes, and I really liked that. I also liked the inclusion of his uh, partner uh, Gear, which it yeah. was his uh, best friend who Richie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, who, uh, thanks to being in close contact with the gas that caused the superpowers, which I know we'll get into soon, uh, gave him super intelligence. Well, for anyone who, because Static is actually still pretty niche, because yes. Static's rights are in a weird kind of spot right now, because he's he's a DC character, but they haven't really done a whole lot with him. I remember there's some legalese reason why i don't remember it too well though uh, he actually showed up in young justice but he hasn't got to do a whole lot yet that's one of the main reasons i want season three so that can do some more stuff anyway but the storyline of static in the show at least which i believe is pretty close to his comic origin is that uh you know, virgil hawkins is this uh kid or was hawkins the name of the school it's been a long time since i watched it I actually didn't bone up on the show before this uh, i've been too busy for shame you didn't bone up on a show that's 15 maybe older i watched it last year i'll be fine anyway virgil is his name is this kid in uh dakota um and there's in the first episode he gets involved with some gang stuff i'm not going to go into too details about it but the point is there's this like facility full of all these like chemicals and shit that explodes due to the gang activity. And it's, uh, it's called like the, the, the bang, they call it um, the bang or something like that, but it releases all these chemicals that start causing powers. And so they call these people with powers, either metahumans or bang babies, which I think is hilarious. Cause when I first saw Netflix is the flash, I was like, this is the same origin of uh, static. So anyway, and so Virgil gets uh, the power to manipulate the electromagnetic spectrum, and he deals with essentially all the other people in his city who uh, have powers and start doing crazy things. Like the main um, gang-related guy who got him in trouble in the first place develops pyrokinesis, and so he's like the quote-unquote main rival. He's not really the big bad. The big bad's this guy named Ebon who can become shadows and control shadows, but fire dude is Wait, what good does controlling shadows do as an as anything well uh this is like this is like shadow puppet theater because I, I barely remember this but now i'm just imagining this looney tunes-esque you know combat of shadow puppet theater well no it's more like so first of all he can really change his size in corresponding with like any shadowed kind of surface like the opening always shows him taking the form of this entire like wall and then trying to grab static but his powers also mean that he can like move through basically like any anything that you know light can move through because dark shadow can move through it too and he can do some kind of like if i remember correctly and i might be remembering this wrong he can also like store things like within his own body because it's like a like a darkness kind of realm thing but anyway as wundvog pointed out powers are random as Wunvag pointed out, uh, Virgil's best friend is this kid named Richie, who seems to be figuring out how to like develop tech for for Virgil to use his you know powers in more interesting ways. And you find out, I think in like season two, um, that being in such close proximity to Virgil means he slowly absorbs some of the the same kind of chemicals. 
that Virgil was exposed to, and so it just made his brain get super uh, hyped. And so he basically becomes Iron Man, except he uses like roller skates with jets on them, and he's got a backpack that's like a sentient spider droid thing. Now yeah. I'm remembering why this show didn't work for me. Why didn't it work for you? Because it had a lot of that, and this was really bad in the 90s, where they try, because like, doesn't he ride around on, like, doesn't he ride around, like, on a flying skateboard or something? No, he uses uh, actually a trash can lid at the beginning, um, and then he gets, and then he gets a, uh, it's essentially like a triangular piece of metal that unfolds into a circle, and then he flies around on that. All right, maybe I'm getting it mixed up with something else, but it had kind of that late '90s isms of what are the kids like today? Oh, roller skates and extreme sports. Let's tie that into our superheroes. Uh, I yeah. remember a lot of that, and I, I, I mean, I'm a fan of turtles. But they are they are they started that whole trend. See, I Static's one of the only only like two shows that for me really gets away with that. Um the other one for the record is Rocket Power. That's because Rocket Power leans into it really hard. Yeah, Rocket Power was dumb. Another topic, another time. Uh but with with Static it it felt more like see so the problem with that thing that you're talking about in cartoons, I find, is when it feels like it's people who are out of touch and are trying to sound cool essentially and that and it comes yeah. off cringy but i never got that feeling from static to me static always felt genuine like these were just kids you know like the fact that richie turned his uh you know used his technology to create rocket uh rollerblades was never like a cringe thing to me because i was like of course richie would do that that makes sense like it was just it fit the the kind of world created. And since the whole setting of static is a lot more for lack of a better term, urban, like it's in a city that's a little more, you know, like, so there's gang activity and, and stuff like that. It was, it was very different from other things I'd seen. It all fit in with this kind of like atmosphere that the, the story had created. Some other like interesting characters that show up. There's a ripper band man who had the elastic power uh, that before I ever <laughs> found out. About movie. Is there a song? I think there is. You've never heard the Rubber Band Man? Uh, it sounds vaguely familiar, but I think that might be why he went with that name. He started off as a villain and became a good guy later. Uh, there was Permafrost, who only should have been like one episode, who has a constant blizzard surrounding her. But uh, anyway, I could go on in the you know characters and characters. But like I said, the, one of the main draws for me was that Virgil would always find very creative ways to utilize his powers. Like, I remember this one where um, uh, he was nearly beaten, so all he did was like put his hand to the ground and change the polarity of like the atoms essentially on the, the area of ground underneath the villain as which is how lightning actually happened. So he caused the lightning strike to, to hit him by doing that. And he kind of like explained how it worked. I was super fascinated with that shit. So, and he, you know, he could use his powers to like play a CD in his hand, which was just kind of neat or like listen to uh like a phone call by like holding onto the cord. So, you know, just, just stuff like that. Yeah. I remember that part that there was plenty of interesting applications to his powers, but I don't know. I never got as into this one as I did a lot of the other ones that came out <laughs> around the same time. As for the, um, the DC crossovers that happened a couple times. So like the first one I think was crossover with Batman, uh, Batman and Robin specifically, which, Ended up leading to there was a follow up episode where he crossed over with Batman, but Robin wasn't there, and I never forgot this scene because Static like walks in, he goes, "Hey, where's Robin?" Batman goes, "With the Titans." The who? 
you'll meet them someday. And from that they point, they I was like, did. yeah, they never. Well, now they kind of have with Young Justice, but anyway. I remember, I remember that one because I was like, oh, cool. That's going to be an interesting crossover. Never happened. Yeah. Uh, the crossovers with Batman were fine. Um, the crossover with the Justice League was great. Oh, actually, before that, there was one with just uh, John Stewart's Green Lantern, where it's actually Sinestro pretending to be Green Lantern to ruin his uh, whole like career, essentially. Or not his career, his view in the public eye. I remember that one being especially good because you find out that like John Stewart's Green Lantern was a hero to static, so he's going through like, you know, this kind of shit where his hero seems to be a villain now and it's just really good like emotional beats. And then the the crossover with the Justice League happened because Brainiac showed up and mind controlled everyone except he can't mind control static because static has this constant field of electricity around him that just shorts out, you know, like tech applied to him. And there was even a crossover with Batman Beyond, which, as I said, was the other one I really liked, where uh, where Static got thrown into the future, and him and Batman Beyond, Terry McGinnis, have to work together to save Static's future self from a Cobra cult. A Cobra cult? Yeah, because in, in Batman Beyond, there's a whole thing about splicers, people who uh, splice their genes with that of animals, and there's a, a cult, think... Uh, think like hydra except they yeah. they all splice with uh, snakes and shit and their leaders like full on like cobra dude so actually kind of like cobra from gi joe <laughs> i'm going to say we're talking like cobra literal. commander except it's literal in this case so uh but yeah that that was that was a really good episode too so i, I don't actually remember how static ended um but I, I used to watch it when i came from school oh also the show has three different openings although two of them are kind of the same and um, the third one, which was actually done by Little Bow Wow, was awesome. Ooh, yeah, I, at all. I, I don't, I don't know anything about Little Bow Wow. I don't care about him, but that opening was awesome. So it stuck in my head for days. <laughs> I don't remember that much else about it. Wunvong, you? Um, going back to the permafrost villain, uh, I remember that one. It stands out in my mind because uh, it was a Christmas episode. So. You know, a little girl with blizzard powers, uh, kind of built on the season. But the thing that it really pointed out, and I loved the idea of, is it also talked about that she was a schizophrenic. Oh yeah, that she had mental, like you know, mental problems, and uh, it showed uh, Virgil and Static talk to doctors and even some religious figures about, like, you know, what can I do to help this girl who is so afraid that everyone is out to get her with these new powers that she can't control and doesn't know what sh- that she's hurting people. And it's yeah. like, it, it took some very interesting and serious notes. And it was always interesting to me, like, even though I'm not super religious, it's always interesting to see a show, even for ki- like a kid show, delve a little bit into the mentality of, uh, of faith. Well, it's hard for me to put this into words, especially words that you know can can come from me. But I always like to that Static had plenty of episodes that were just like goofy, fun, bad guy of the week. But it didn't shy away from the life and environment that Virgil lived in. Like yes, that that whole gang stuff like that doesn't go away. That just is like there in the background, and they touch on a lot of other like like I didn't really grow up in the city. I, I grew up in a smallish town, like not, not really small, like 30,000 people, but you know, not, not, a, not a city. So 
and and even the superheroes who did like spider-man most of peter parker's problems had to do with like his social awkwardness and the fact that you know he's a dork but static shock seemed to delve a lot more into like what were systemic issues of an urban environment and was not afraid to like really look at them in a given episode well i also like that it it really punched the fact in it's like you know there, like there was gang violence before, but now there's gang violence with superpowers. Yeah, and that causes some really terrible collateral. Whoa! Uh, one more similar thing. They never, if they did, I don't remember this specifically, but they don't, they don't touch on this a whole lot. But there's a character who's a villain who's, um, I think she might just be called the Harpy, or uh, but she's basically like a vulture lady who can like scream. But there's a couple times. Where instead of just being like a you know a henchman, they really hinted how like like super depressed she is about what she's turned into and how like very like the whole idea of body image, except for someone who was part you know half bird and mutated was was an oddly powerful subtext to a lot of her like quieter scenes. And again, that's something I just didn't see in like you know shows of any kind. Anyway, I I think I've gone on about it long enough, and I feel like because I, I watched the most of it. So since you did watch some of it, Wunvog, do you have any other closing statements? Um, not not as much as it, you know, we hit on most of them. Like, you know, it had it had a lot of fun, but it also touched on, you know, more heavy moments. Like, it also talked about the fact that Virgil's mother uh, died, I believe, in a shooting. Yeah, I believe so. Um, but, like, yeah, it's, it was interesting to see a show that, like, it kept it lighthearted, but knew when to have quiet moments. Uh, but also, like, thinking back on it, it is it is impressive knowing how much knowledge would have to go into knowing what electrical powers could do to, <laughs> to be able to know what he could do with it. Well, in the comics, uh, Static is considered the second greatest authority on chemistry. Uh, and like atomic physics in the world, only beaten by Barry Allen, the Flash, who also needs to have a high understanding of knowing how his powers work. So very cool. As a side note, um, as, as I said, Static started off as Milestone Comics, so there is no, and I, I repeat, no connection between Static and Black Lightning. A lot of fans or people who don't really know them think that they're connected in some way. The comics themselves have had the two characters be like. Why do you think we're related? Just because we're both black and have electric powers? That's racist. <laughs> <laughs> and then everyone else was uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah. Plus, plus their powers. They even talk about. There's a great panel. I don't know what comic it was, where the two of them are talking, and uh, and Black Lightning's like, "Wait, your powers don't work this way." And so they just like explain. <laughs> like Black Lightning's like, "Well, I'm a conduit for electricity around me, so I absorb it and redirect it." And Static's like, oh, well, I directly control the electromagnetic field of the air around me. So it's like they both explain that their powers don't even function fundamentally the same way. Huh. Anyway, yeah, sorry. Just know. What, anyway, what's the next tune we can talk about? Well, I believe I've... Uh, one of the last times I was on the show, I actually talked about the Justice League. And I think it's a good time to talk about its follow-up series, Unlimited. <laughs> it's funny, because talking about Justice League is almost unfair, because it's like, you're just talking about basically all DC animation at that point, but go for it. <laughs> I'm going to just talk about DC for a while, okay? <laughs> um, I, I really liked uh, Justice League Unlimited, and uh, some of its following shows, it 
uh, fell in the same style that it lets me see a bunch of heroes that I may have never known about because I've never been into the comics myself. Oh yeah, I will say that Justice League Unlimited introduced me to who's um, not my favorite DC hero, but easily top five, and my favorite uh, my favorite non main character to come out of that show is the Question, especially voiced by Jeffrey Combs, who voiced him in that show. Uh, I love the Question. So. See, you say the Question, and then I go to Gravity Falls. Question, need the question mark. So, do you, do you remember the Question? Around my head. Huh? You remember the question, though, Oric? I do remember the question, but now all I've got is question the question mark. Which, that's a that's a great head image. Yeah! <laughs> Come on! Oh, but as a as a rundown of the series, it uh, it picks up, I'd say, a few months to possibly, at least no more than a year after the series finale of Justice League, which uh, the Thanagarians, Hot Girls people, tried to invade and destroy Earth. Dick move. Yeah, it, it was a heavy thing. Uh, and it led to Hot Girl quitting the League and its, uh, its main members deciding we need more than just us to watch the Earth. Mm-hmm. So it, uh, it comes in following Green Arrow uh, with the League asking him and uh at least a hundred other heroes to join in the league and join their cause of, you know, helping the earth and watching over everything. Also, I might be a fan of arrow, the series, but this green arrow is the green arrow who first of all, looks just like goddamn Robin hood and is by his own admission, an old lefty. So he's got that like political, you know, he's like the mayor and he's got very left leaning views. That was very much a part of the comics. And he's just kind of this, I mean, they bring him into the Justice league with basically a promise of like, Hey, we need a regular guy up here to keep us in line. Yeah. And it's, it's definitely interesting to see, uh, to see it start from the perspective of a hero that doesn't really want to join, but then he sees the help that it can do. Let's be honest. He saw Black Canary and was like, oh, and, well, maybe I will do it after all. And I was going to get to that. And he saw <laughs> Black Canary. And he's like, I'll stick around. Well, Black Canary's awesome. So, <laughs> um, But it had some great episodes, too. Like, uh, as you nope. said, uh, the episode with the question. Uh, well, there's a bunch where, of episodes with the question, but go uh, ahead. When he, when he was first introduced, uh, if the episode revolves around uh, Supergirl having nightmares of her hunting down and killing people. Oh, yeah. Uh, that was a dark one. Yeah, and, like, she's she's being horrified by this, so she asks uh, Green Arrow for help, uh, and the question basically butts in. <laughs> I uh, love that at one point he, uh, Batman is talking about the question, and he says, like, that guy's wound tight. <laughs> so... <laughs> And Do that's saying like something. Conspiracy theories that the Girl Scouts are selling cookies to fund the purchase of WMDs or something weird like oh, that. Oh, the question is oh. full of conspiracy theories. Not not theories, theory. <laughs> by his oh. own by his own words, that since effectively the dawn of man, they have been run by a single organization that keeps everyone in the status quo. I always remember there's this one great episode where the question is being tortured, and every time like the pain stops so they can ask him a question, he just says some nonsensical shit. Like I remember him saying 
that the the plastic parts at the end of your shoelaces they have a name he, he says what they are and then they're like and then he's like and they're used to keep track of where you go during this, like their recording devices and shit it's just hilarious no it's it and i love it because it's like it's almost a little dangerous pointing out the uh almost like the conspiracy theory kook is a hero but yeah. the bit the best joke about it is because of his vast knowledge of how everything works he's more or less correct yeah he, he ends up being right about most things <laughs> but the problem is he's so paranoid he can't keep track of one thing for too long because he'll just move on uh there's a great line uh the huntress who him and her start dating at one point the huntress just goes i are you have you been going through my garbage and he goes please i go through everyone's garbage anyway but i think the point uh not to interrupt but is that the show actually almost made the seven characters from the original justice league Almost like side characters. Most of well, them didn't don't... show up a lot. I don't remember. Like it was a lot of new characters. Like they started out okay. Here's the core group, and then here's some new characters, and then little by little it became more and more these new characters you'd never heard of. Yes, and that was definitely Ultimate's or Unlimited's biggest thing is it wanted to show the DC universe, so it gave a lot of great episodes to characters that weren't the main seven. Booster Gold, and yeah, I was gonna say that was one of the that's one of the better ones too. It's called the episode is called "The Greatest Story Never Told," and again, for people who don't know, Booster Gold is a hero from the future who takes advanced tech and went back in time to become a hero so he could become popular. <laughs> and it's basically he wants fame and glory, so he takes advanced technology to the past to find it. Uh, however, during an attack. He's put on crowd control by the, the elongated league. man, right? <laughs> yes. Not even plastic here. Like they make a joke about that. Yeah, yeah. no, it's elongated man, uh, <laughs> and he's he's basically left with crowd control with people who don't know him, keep mistaking him for Green Lantern, which I still think is one of the best jokes. Well, his outfit looks a lot like a yellow version of Green Lantern. True. But it's just like, he's not green, nor a lantern. <laughs> Surprised people uh, don't mistake him for a Sinestro Corps member or something. Exactly. However, I think this was before the Corps were uh, canon. Ah, uh, okay. Uh, but back on track, while he's doing crowd control, a Star Labs uh, a laboratory assistant, or a scientist, uh, comes in and tells him, a man with effectively a black hole for a stomach just escaped because of the natural disaster that just occurred. And yeah, it's literally just some average Joe walking around with a singularity on his chest, sucking things in and him apologizing to people for it. <laughs> but the problem is, of course, the more it sucks in, the, uh, the larger the singularity becomes that it could destroy the earth. And it's up to booster gold to stop it. And Thankfully, he does, and no one was around to see it. Well, the best part of it is that he doesn't brag about it. This is a character who, has, as you put it, his entire origin is he came back in time for fame, but he actually did save the entire world from this black hole, and he basically keeps it to himself because it's... Yeah, and he stays humble, and so it's like, it's a great character, uh, character change and build-up for one character over the course of just one episode. Yes. Um, and another one that was just great because uh, 
again, I'd never got to read the comic version of this, but it was the episode called For the Man Who Has Everything. That sounds familiar. I remember yeah. seeing the title. What was it about? And it's, uh, it's based off an old Alan Moore comic, and it's uh, about uh, su- uh, Superman's birthday, and Wonder Woman and Batman are going to the Fortress of Solitude to oh, effectively yeah. give him birthday gifts. This one. But when they get there, there's this plant embedded into his chest, and it goes into Superman's point of view, and in his mind, he is Kal-El on Krypton that never blew up. He has a family there, a wife and a son. His parents, his uh, biological parents are there. His father's disgraced for the panic that he caused that never happened over the planet being destroyed, but they're all okay, and he's happy. You end up finding out that it was a plan by Mongol to basically keep him in check while he attacked the Earth. But it's such a heavy episode, because you see, like, the plant is basically a parasite that feeds you your your uh, fantasy, like, the dream you want most. So the opposite of the sinning tree from Yu Yu Hakusho. <laughs> Effectively. Uh, and with Superman, he finally comes to terms that this is an illusion, and he has this heartfelt moment with his son in the thing, and he just goes, I'm sorry, but I don't think you're real. I remember and that then scene. He, and then he wakes up and tears the uh, the flower off of him, and it's just yeah. like, oh, no. Yeah. It's funny, because as we just said, the Justice League Unlimited doesn't spend a whole lot of time with the main seven, but then there's stuff like that. So, yeah. But when they do, it hits home. Uh, I will say, though, there were still plenty of fun episodes with that. Uh, like, the episode, I believe, is called Child's Play? <laughs> yes. Where, uh, I believe it's Morgan Le Fay. I thought that was a regular Justice League episode. I know that was Unlimited. Yeah, that's what I thought it was, yeah. too. It it feels like a, an original, but it is in Unlimited. Uh, it's uh, Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, and Green Lantern. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and it's uh, Morgan Le Fay and her son, Mordred. Mm-hmm. Uh, he basically gains a magical artifact that gives him super powerful magic, and he's a spoiled brat who she's been trying to uh, make ruler of the Earth. Uh, Not the she, best depiction of Mordred in history. True, yeah, but you know she's been babying him for about five hundred years, so yeah, he he's a bit of a petulant brat. <laughs> but he uses the magic to make everyone who was older than him, so about twelve biologically, <laughs> uh, disappear, and all the heroes are just put into this void area, and. Morgan goes to Superman and the others and tells them, I can get you back with my magic, uh, <clears throat> so if you can't stop him. But the only way she can do that is making them children. Yep. And, and uh, child child versions of all of them are amazing. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's a great twist, because uh, Batman is still Batman, just 12. Surly. <laughs> uh, Superman is completely clueless. Um, John's the babysitter. <laughs> yeah, Wonder Woman's the babysitter, and Green Lantern is uh, kind of a nerd. Oh, yeah, he's a dork. Oh. No, that's my favorite, you know, Batman joke. Everyone else is running. He's like, 
Hey guys, wait up! I'm not as fast as you. <laughs> More yeah. or less. Uh, another thing, just the Unlimited did that I really liked was it's been a lot of like weird time with the villains. Like, there's um an episode. It's a Christmas episode where Flash takes. Oh, what is the gorilla's name? It's, it's not Grodd. It's the other uh super superhuman. Super humanoid. Humanoid. Yeah. Humanoid. He he like takes him to an orphanage and Superhumanoid makes like a little toy like robot for like the orphans and stuff. MC and, Quackers. Yes. But I just remember the the bit being that Superhumanoid may be a you know super villain who wants to take over the world, but you know, they're kids. So who doesn't like kids? Yeah, he's, like, he's not a he's not a monster. Yeah, exactly. Uh there are a few other like little things like that. Like I remember one where Batman seduced um, uh, Cheetah to get out of like a situation where all the villains had him trapped. And that episode was also great because Joker is constantly trying to get Lex to just kill him, and Lex won't kill Batman. <laughs> so, uh, but if I'm going to talk about any Justice League episode, just for a moment, my favorite moment in all of Justice League happened in, in a JLU. And I don't know what the episode was called, but the plot of it is that um, uh, I think it was Madame Bruges, but she's kidnapping female superheroes, planting a, a like a bug in the, like a little device in their ear that mind controls them, and getting them to fight each other in like an arena for you know bets and money and stuff. And the episode focuses on Black Canary and Huntress uh, primarily, with a uh, Vixen also playing like a a little bit of a side role. So it starts off with like Black Canary and Huntress. Or Black Canary gets kidnapped. Huntress finds out about this and she gets the device out of her. So like uh so Black Canary and Huntress are both good and then they're in the they're in the arena and so the Mamaru's like, okay, well how about this? And she brings up Vixen and Hawkgirl. So then those four fight two V two. They manage to get uh Vixen and Hawkgirl's pieces off. So they're like, okay, all four of us are awake now. You're going down. And she's like, well, I have one last combatant. And she just presses a button and Wonder Woman comes out of like the floor. And there's this moment where they all like all four of the other heroes like back up. And Huntress like, anyone got a plan? And Hawkgirl's like, yeah, try to stay alive. I think my favorite episode, like one that really stuck thing. We're talking about heavy stuff. Well, hold on. Before you, before, you move on, on. before you move on, I just want to say that, that the follow-up of watching Wonder Woman beat the shit out of these four characters like it's nothing was the first time I was like, I'm going to start reading into Wonder Woman because she's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. anyway, go ahead. But uh, do you guys remember the Solomon Grundy arc they did? Yes, and I was going to talk a bit about that one too because it oh, was it was an amazing arc. Oh, it's it's emotionally devastating. Yeah, well, this is your pick, man. Go ahead and talk about it. Yeah. Because, like I said, this is my favorite episode. Yeah, and it's it was something I didn't get to... Uh, get to delve into deep in Justice League, but this started originally in the first series. Uh, more or less, a Lovecraftian monster is appearing under the ocean. And so, Dr. Fate, Hawk Girl, and Aquaman get help from Solomon Grundy to try and stop this. And they end up doing it, but Grundy dies in the process of trying to fight this horror from beyond. Uh, but he ends up having a really deep moment with Hawkgirl, and, uh, yeah, it, it emotionally affects her through the entire series, and I think this is, that was one of the points that she started realizing 
you know, now that you know after the fact that she ha- she's starting to have feelings for everything that she's found on this planet. Uh, in Unlimited, there's an episode called Wake the Dead, where a group of teenagers inadvertently revive Grundy, which uh, the curse on Solomon Grundy is anytime he dies, he will be revived stronger than before, but with no memory of who he was before he died. So when he returns... Isn't there, sorry, isn't there a nursery rhyme? Yes, Solomon it's... Grundy, born on a Sunday... Or born on a Monday. That's all I remember. Yeah, christened on Tuesday, uh, married on Wednesday, took ill on Thursday, worse on Friday, died on Saturday, buried on Sunday. And, yeah, it's uh, basically the curse of Solomon Grundy is anytime you die, you'll be revived stronger without your memory of the past. So they basically revive a giant Hulk zombie. Yeah. And he's just rampaging through the town and no one can stop him, and they try to they try to bring in Shaira. Oh, and that's why uh, Hot Girl was there. Shaira is her name, of course. Uh, whatever metal her mace is made out of, it can harm these like otherworldly things, which is why she could she could actually hurt the Lovecraftian monster. And she's one of the few people well, that can actually had something to do with her race. I thought like they struck a bargain with this creature. That might have been it too. It's been yeah, a while since I've seen that episode. Some deal. I remember it was some really cool again Lovecraftian style striking deals uh, with things you shouldn't. I was never yeah. too interested in Thanagarian backstory. <laughs> yeah, but they uh, with that they have this mat basically magical metal. Uh, but it's her mace is one of the few things that can actually stop Grundy. However, she tries to reach him, uh, but. Sadly, it's to no avail, and she has to basically put him down. Yeah, like, that's not how the episode ends, is, you know, she's he's sitting there, you know, bleeding, and she realizes he has no memory of her whatsoever, and, like, wasn't the idea that if they killed him in the last arc, that would be the end of this creature, and they thought they were giving him peace? And that was it, yes, that they'd finally, they'd finally put an end to his curse, but so, but Again, the those those damn kids, uh, you know, found him. found a way to revive him and uh, and started the process over. No, this is the episodes that made him one of my favorite, you know, characters. Period, because he was really cool power set wise. But then you find out this whole sad story. It's like, oh man. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It- I I just did a quick search. It's it uh, when they were fighting the Ichthulu. <laughs> Ikthutu, I think is how to pronounce it. Uh, again, they weren't uh, subtle. Yeah. Grundy was apparently searching for his lost soul. So that's I think that's why when he was killed, he was only able to get rezzed one more time. Because it says here the last sentence is ultimately Shire put Grundy to rest one last time. And the metal, by the way, is called Nth Metal. Okay, and yeah, Nth Metal. Um but yeah, that was a great arc for Again, they did amazing arcs for characters that only appeared in a few episodes. By the yeah. way, side side note, it says here that in that uh, episode, one of the people who opposed Grundy was Amazo, and that Grundy was able to absorb Amazo's power by touching him, which is insane. Because anyone who doesn't oh, know, Amazo's an, Amazo's an android who could copy anyone's powers. Anyone at the end of his first episode in Justice League original, he had the powers of all of the seven, 
including uh, the Martian Manhunter, which allowed him to read Lixilder's mind and know that you know Lixilder was using him. Then he left off into the universe, and he came back basically with the power to like move planets with a thought, and he was he was a god. And apparently Grundy could just absorb his powers. But I would say one one last episode that I uh, that I really wanted to touch on, which is again, if you don't know the history of Justice League, and as unfortunate as it is, it came around because. Uh, while they actively ended Batman Beyond, so they could take uh, crew members from it from Beyond and put them to work on Justice League, which is really unfair to Batman Beyond. Yeah, but I mean that's the thing is that uh, at least at least they did give Batman Beyond a ending episode through Justice League Unlimited. Yes, and th- yeah, they had uh, for the season two finale epilogue, which is the story of uh, Terry McGinnis now being in his mid twenties. No older. He was um, maybe he'd been because uh, yeah, he'd been doing thirties. Like, yeah, I think it was early thirties. He's been doing it like yeah. fifteen years at that point or something. Yeah, and they end up coming to terms or coming to the revelation of he is Bruce's biological son. Okay, still alive. That was weird, given the age. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, what they did is uh, uh, they used uh, genetic re uh, rewriting uh, nano- nanobots, something like that. Yeah, yeah, to change Terry's father's reproductive genes into that of Bruce Wayne's. Wasn't that Amanda Waller style bullshit? It was yes. exactly Amanda Waller. And That's what great- I'm, okay, now it's coming back to me. Yeah. What's great and- though is that it was kind of hinted from the beginning because yeah, parents both have like red hair and then Terry had black hair and so did his younger brother. And that is the implication is why his parents got divorced. Yeah. Cause you know, if you know genetics, you know, that don't work. Hell, if you know game of Thrones, you know, that's not how that works. Yeah. By the way, I, I looked it up. Uh, Terry was 31 in that episode. 31. Okay. So you have early thirties. Um, but yeah, one of the overarching themes with justice league unlimited is going into the ideas of Cadmus and how they were trying to prepare Earth for the eventuality of the Justice League going rogue, usually through pretty like non-legal means. Yes. But one of the one of the ideas that Waller came up with herself is the world would always need a Batman. So she took she took Bruce's genes, implanted it in a couple, and was actually prepared to stage their murder. Uh, to set him up to almost be a carbon copy of Bruce. She actually hired the Phantasm to do it, which was like one of the first times the Phantasm was in something after the movie. Yes. But uh, she didn't go through with it, obviously. But uh, Terry ended up losing his parents anyway. Well, his father anyway. Yeah, but and I like that Waller basically tells him now that she's old and can look at things through through a good perspective, uh, she gives... She gives Terry the story of because he starts seeing it as, you know, this is this was Bruce's doing, like you know, any means necessary for the crazy old man who uh, just wants the world safe and nothing and nothing will stop his plan for that. Uh, and so he, t- uh, Waller tells Terry the story of them going against Ace from the Royal Flush Gang, who was introduced in the Justice League as a little girl who can mentally bend reality with her mind. 
Also, a fun fact, that incarnation of the Royal Flesh Gang was all voiced by the same voice actors do the Teen Titans. It's creepy, and it, it really throws you off. Oh, yeah, it's, it's a super fun cameo from the, from the whole group. Um, however, you end up finding out that uh, Ace has a tumor on her frontal lobe that if she dies, she could actually, with her powers, basically break the Earth if, if she has a if, say, she had, like, a seizure. Um, so, Waller gives Batman a poison to kill her before the tumor could, because she knew he would be the one that would be willing to do it if it meant saving, you know, humanity, unlike, say, like, Superman or any of the other League. However, it's a great moment with Batman, because he just... He sits there and talks with her because she's aware she's dying, but he he's basically willing to sit with her until the end, just so, so she's not alone. So it, like in that in just those few moments, it just shows how much humanity Bruce really has, and it, it's a great moment. And it uh, it reminds Terry of you know why it's important that there's a Batman. So uh, yeah. plus. I, I, I vaguely remember that. That was a good one. Plus, the uh, the writer for the episode has said that... Um, I don't know if it's for the episode, but one of the writers has said that Bruce had actually known about the connection since basically not too long after Terry became uh, Batman. But Bruce pur- purposefully kept it secret because he wanted uh, Terry to become his own man and because he, uh, out of respect for Warren McGinnis, who was Terry's actual father. And I would totally believe that just with uh, with Bruce's mentality, it's not it wouldn't be hard for him to piece that together, uh, especially with uh, the technology he has. Yeah, well, like we said, man, uh, two redhead parents, black haired kids. Yeah, things don't <laughs> add up. <laughs> One of these things is not like the other. Well, you know, speaking of uh, Batman in general, I mentioned a while back when we started this that there was probably one cartoon that really kicked off what would have been the golden age of superhero cartoons for us, at least when we were kids. And that was Batman the Animated Series, which I know is one of your favorites, right, Ulrich? Yeah, and I know a lot of people are going to go, wait, you hate Batman. It's true. I do hate Batman. But I love Batman the Animated Series because at this point, Batman had not become a plot device. By the way, sorry to, to cut off the JLU discussion, but it felt like such a natural turning point to Batman. <laughs> so, yeah, no, that, that, that's about where I felt that was good chatting about it. But, I mean, also, it's, like like I said, it's kind of unfair to compare anything to Batman the Animated Series, because it was, like, monumental. <laughs> well, the art style alone, yeah. I've been rewatching it because it's on Amazon Prime, and that is still some beautiful animation. Oh, I yeah, mean... The- the opening alone, hot damn. Yeah, it's great. Uh, Which great I, song. I actually did learn that the opening is more or less a quick recreation of the original pilot they made to pitch the show. Huh. Oh, didn't know neat. that. But yeah, no, this one really kind of started it off. And as you know, as you know, I got a lot of brothers. And as, you know, as natural brothers, we didn't all get along. But we all watched, you know, Batman together because, well... It was Batman, and it was awesome. And I remember really liking it because it felt kind of dark and creepy a lot of the times. And part of that was the animation. Oh, yeah. 
But part of that was some of the stories they did. Well, the, the, I mean, okay, both of those, but I want to say that the style being so, like, gothic art deco, I, I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but... No, that's right. Uh, it was just so striking. I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of it growing up myself, but um, as an adult, I actually have a lot more respect for it. But, yeah, just how everything looked, the heavy use of shadows and everything being so dark compared to most other animated shows on at the time was... I mean, now I'm generally anti-dark. That's because most shows now do it in a kind of like nauseatingly, this is what makes us an adult kind of way, which I feel is pandering. But the Batman the Animated Series was doing it because it was the right choice for the material and the, that adaptation. Yeah, and yeah. I, I will, I'll have to add, I, I liked what I've seen of the show, and I've enjoyed some of the, new, some of the episodes now that I've gone back to watch them as an adult. But... I couldn't watch it as a kid because it traumatized me. <laughs> really? I know yes. why too. <laughs> Between I gotta hear this. Oh, uh, I will say he's one of my favorite and most feared fictional characters, and that is the Joker. Really? And yes. Mark and Mark Hamill's version of the Joker, which is in basically. Specifically. Yeah, which is a nowadays. I mean, yeah, Heath Ledger was great, but Mark Hamill to me will always be the Joker. Period. His. Well, it's really cool to go back and watch because the first episode the Joker appears, Mark Hamill hasn't quite fully got the character right, like how he wants to do it. The joke isn't the, the laugh isn't quite there. He has like five or six different you know laughs he tries out throughout the episode before he gets it 100%, and it's really kind of cool to go, holy shit, right now, now, looking back, this is the definitive version for Sony people of the Joker, but to hear him kind of trying out and to find the right laugh, it's a head trip. Well, Mark Hamill is such a good voice actor in general, not just for the Joker, but for a lot of things, but the, the, oh, fact, yeah. that, the fact that his Joker voice is the Joker voice, his Joker laugh is the Joker laugh. The fact that he could be fun and lighthearted, but also really fucking sinister and scary. And Super that's what I'm getting creepy. to. It's because early on in my friendship with Woonvog, I found out about a particular fear Woonvog had relating to this character. <laughs> and that is the laughing gas. Oh, it, yeah. The, the imagery, the idea of someone laughing themselves till they suffocate... The uh, the grotesque distortion of the of the overdone smile on the face, it broke me as a child. <laughs> it's hilarious because they added that in the show because they couldn't have the Joker just like murdering people with knives and shit. But <laughs> and that, is that is way more is so much more tame. Yeah, it's way scarier. <laughs> the Joker gas is way scarier. Well, that's kind of the other cool thing about the show. So much of what we accept now as established Batman canon came from this show. The origins of uh, Dr. Freeze, from this show. The creation of Harley Quinn, iconic character, from this show. I mean, that I feel like... tells you how popular this was. And, and yes. those two examples are both examples where I feel like they haven't topped the versions that were in those shows. Like, Harley Quinn has become super fucking ubiquitous. She's in all Batman-related stuff, but that original version of her in the show, voiced by the actual real-life person who she was, like, created based off of, whose name escapes me right now. Uh, 
that's my favorite version of Harley Quinn period to date still. And Mr. Freeze, same thing. Like Mr. Freeze's tragic backstory has followed him in a lot of current, you know, representations, but he doesn't actually get a whole lot of screen time in any version of Batman. So the like two or three solid episodes he got of the of that animated series are amazing. And the funny thing is, again, I'm not a big Batman fan, but I know Batman's lore and rogue gallery pretty well from this show, which I don't know. It just tells you they put so much time into, you know, the crafting, development, and writing of this show, and it went on to, you know, inspire so much else. Well, it is funny. When you look up online, I did this a while back. I looked up online a bunch of geek websites, countdowns of the top uh, rogues galleys in comics, and two through four tend to be the same collection, but in different orders of uh, Spider-Man, The Flash, and, like, the X-Men. Like, they tend to be, and sometimes Superman gets in there, too. But it was always Batman's number one. There's, like, no contest for And it's this show. It really kind of, you know... It hit at the right time. It made Batman the popular character he is today. And, come on, the theme song. Danny Elfman wrote the theme song for this show. and Gorgeous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like, you hear the first three bars. You instantly know, okay, I'm watching Batman. By the way, I give a lot of credit to, to Mark Hamill, and for good reason. But I also got to say that, uh, similar way, for me, Kevin Conroy is Batman. Like yeah. Kevin Conroy no, is the definitive Batman. Who my favorite Batman is? It's always Kevin Conroy. Why? Because he had the voice. Don't get me wrong. I'm actually a fan of Michael Keaton's portrayal as Batman, but I always feel like Michael Keaton was a little odd as Bruce Wayne, mostly because th- that's kind of a hard line to to follow. Like of all the live action, I still like you know Keaton best. But if I have anyone, Conroy, I'm actually I I feel like if Conroy had worked out a bit, he had a face for it. He could have just been a live action Batman. I think. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if he's a good actor, like you know, physically. He's a good voice actor, certainly. But just saying, like that's a a, fa- a fantasy of mine. So one thing though, I gotta talk about if I'm gonna talk about you know Batman was when they changed the art design. Season uh, four to make it closer to Superman, the animated series, which was going on roughly the same time, right? Yes. Yeah. Now, everyone's kind of got real strong opinions on this. For the most part, it's okay, because it improves a lot of characters. Uh, The Scarecrow becomes fucking nightmare-inducing. I love the Scarecrow. It was really good. Yeah, and it introduces, you know, the Judge, who is also terrifying. But they kind of fuck up the Joker. No, they, they, they fuck up the Joker. I don't know what they did to him. And you can tell they didn't like it because they never go back to that design. Is that the version where he had, like, just black and white kind of face? Yeah. yeah. He, had, <clears throat> he had no lips. His eyes were, like, the black sunken in with the white pupil. Uh, ah. And th- they basically drained all color from him. Yeah, I remember that one. And that one's, like, hard to even find a picture of because, like, the best version of him animated my because the most common one is with the you know yellow teeth and the yellow eyes so that like he's got like it really stands out on the white face but um the version of him as drawn in actually in batman beyond return of the joker where he's still got that same style but a lot more harsh lines in his smile like if you haven't seen that you'd see it just for him (laughs) it was almost a happy medium between the two because it kept it kept like the sharp tones of everything on his face, but it toned down the color just a little bit 
make it stand out, but it was still sinister. Yeah, exactly. But no, I guess this was an awesome show. I used to watch this all the time, you know, growing up. Um, I still think one of the most interesting and or fucked up episodes is that the episode where Clayface creates a small girl to befriend and infiltrate Robin, and it almost seems to develop its own level of sentience. I remember the whole this. Moral quandary Robin finds himself in. That's some heavy stuff to watching it, you know, eight years old going, wait a second. Yeah. Also, Killer Croc was just awesome, but also <laughs> kind of creeped me out a lot because, like, he eats people. Yes. Yes, he does. You know what? It's funny because I'm thinking about the style change between, like, Batman the Animated Series and Justice League. And you know what oddly stands out to me a lot, but it's hard to explain? And that's um, Bruce Wayne's face. You don't even see it that much, but in. In Justice League and in that later season, they darkened his hair to like black, and it's always like like a very solid style, like it's very put together, and he always has this harsh look on his face. But one of the whole points of Batman when done right is that Bruce Wayne is the mask, right? So yeah. he's he's putting on an act as Bruce Wayne. So in the original animated series, when he doesn't wear the mask, he's usually like you know, smiling, he's got emotion on his face. It's really weird because it's like oh my god i forgot bruce wayne is batman because they do they're totally different characters like even the voice change is slightly and i had to remind myself who the hell are you what are you oh that's right you're bruce wayne okay yeah it's funny because conroy's basically using his own voice but he changes it just enough between himself bruce wayne and batman for the three to be very distinctive voices yeah no like i said awesome series kind of helped define the genre um, this is one of the few examples of Batman that I like. You guys have anything else you want to say about it? I mean, there's plenty I could say, like the fact that this, uh, uh, the show introduced the idea that the Joker is Irish, which I just love. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's also the idea that, um, Poison Ivy and Harley Quinn, basically any episodes with the two of them, I think there's only like two or three that do it. Maybe only two. There's just the two of them going on adventures together. Great stuff. There's one with, Livewire, I think that's a Justice League Unlimited episode, actually, maybe. Yeah, because Livewire is a Flash villain. But anyway, point is, those three characters, great together. And they, you know, they've done a lot of different Batman shows since then, and most of them are good in their own way, like, uh, you know, like The Batman, which changed up the style, like, a lot. Um, Batman, the, Batman the Brave and the Bold, which is like an old, you know, send-up to the old uh, uh, Adam West. But there, I don't think there's any superhero show that is as foundational to like superheroes today as the Batman animated series. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, I'd say one of the biggest episodes I like uh, from animated series was, I don't know the name of it, but the new district attorney in Gotham basically has the theory explaining that Batman makes his own villains. Yeah. And so uh, the villains all effectively get together and kidnap her and Batman and put him on trial for them. Uh, for good. like making them as they are. And there's some great lines because the uh, Two-Face is the prosecuting attorney. Uh, the Joker yeah, stands okay. as judge. Um, and I love there's a scene with uh, Mad Hatter basically explaining that you know, I wouldn't have had to use these mind control things to get uh, the girl I love if Batman didn't get in the way. Uh, 
and the DA goes, couldn't you have just accepted her wishes and uh, and left her alone? And he snaps and goes, I'd have killed her first! And we have that <laughs> stricken from the record. And the Joker looks at him and goes, record? Is someone yep. supposed to be writing this down? <laughs> oh. Like I said, no, this was an awesome show. Mm-hmm. And again, like I said, everyone knows my dislike of Batman is well documented, but this show was awesome because Batman was a character, not, you know, just a plot device. And that whole, I mean, you can see the difference between this and when we get to, you know, Batman Beyond and Justice Unlimited, there has to be a Batman. Yeah, Batman is necessary. Yeah. That is well, the epitome of Batman as a plot element. It's just, oh, at least that in, noise. I mean, one of the things I always loved about Batman Beyond was how Batman in that series was basically a three-way combination of Batman, Iron Man, and Spider-Man. And in that series, I liked uh, crotchety old edgelord, uh, <laughs> essentially Batman. That's because he was old. He had been through all that shit, and he just did not care about keeping up any facade anymore because he didn't have to. So, yeah. so no. Awesome show. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be on the DC streaming indeed. service, which I think all of these things will be at some point if Warner Brothers has any hopes of making this work. Definitely. Or if you just want to see uh, a movie that's that's the show, uh, Mask of the Phantasm, which I mentioned yeah. earlier. Yes. Awesome, awesome. So, Wundvog, you want to take us into Suggestions of the Week? Suggestions of the Week, uh, again, I would actually say go check out Teen Titans Go to the Movies. It's a fun, fun movie. Uh, plenty of jokes for uh, for kids and adults, and some surprisingly dark humor in a few of those. Uh, and then also, if you're interested at all, Monster Hunter World is out on consoles now. Will be out on the ninth of this month, August, for PC. So if you have a rig that can handle it, or if you have a console, I'd say check it out. It's super fun. Alrighty then, Axel. Um. So I'm just gonna t- I'm gonna suggest Rampage. Now we were going to originally do a buckler for it, but we actually are kind of busy with uh, stuff we want to record. So I'm just relegating it to suggestion time. Um, a lot of reviewers said that in this movie, obviously, a lot of viewers have said that it's you know better than you would have expected, one of the best video game movie adaptations ever. And yeah, I saw it in the Dollar Theater, and it was really good. It was really fun. It was yeah know, dumb. But the game was dumb too. So <laughs> it leans into the dumb. Yeah. I mean, most so the best way to put it is that in you know, in the game, for anyone who doesn't know, Rampage was originally an arcade game where you picked one of three monsters and each level involved you trying to destroy every building on the level before you can move on to the next one. You get points eating people, destroying general stuff, fighting the military, shit like that. So the final half hour of this movie is the most accurate adaptation of a video game I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it's a big, dumb, fun monster movie schlock fest. Yeah. And, and The, the Rock's lead- there. And the lead-up to it, The Rock, I mean, he's The Rock. You get what's on the box, you know? And his yeah. his chemistry with a goddamn gorilla <laughs> is really good. Like, you really get a feeling for their friendship, and it it makes you, like, you know, care about them succeeding, which I don't need to... You don't need to be fucking Shakespeare, but just... Make me care enough, and then give me all my fun, destroy, you know, the city stuff. And it did. No, I was, uh, well, I didn't think much of this movie going into it, but I watched it, and like, yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. I mean, just a big, dumb monster movie, nothing more. Um, 
I kind of hope we get the sequel they hinted at, but if we don't, okay. If we don't, I hope the people who made Godzilla 2 were taking some notes. So Yeah, this, I mean, this is what we want. <laughs> Big, dumb, stupid monsters. Well, Godzilla can have a movie that, or can be in a movie that is about something, but you need to still give me the monsters fighting each other and destroying shit. So Yeah, no, like I said, this is a good movie. Um, my suggestion is also a movie... One I was kind of on the fence about, but everyone told me I had to see, and that is uh, Blockers. I want to see that. This is one of the funniest movies I've seen in a while, and I'm not 100% sure if it's funny because it's well-written, or it's funny because I am now a dad and I can sympathize and understand with these characters. (laughs) I mean, the number one thing I kept getting told over and over again is, you need to see this movie because you are John Cena's character. And I was like, um... (laughs) Well, let's guess. watch and find out. And I watched it, and it's like, oh, god damn it. Yeah, that, that's my mindset. Uh, John Cena's surprisingly funny. I I didn't think that would be, like, he would naturally be that comedic. But, yeah. And the best, I think one of the best things about this movie is, is they don't, you know, make a whole bunch of jokes about him being huge. There's only one joke, and it's really funny. They're trying to get information, and one of the dads says, you either tell us, where our daughters are, or my overly muscled friend here rip you limb from limb. And John Cena goes, overly muscled? What do you mean? I think I'm in good shape. And he just has this whole hurt expression on his face. It's fucking hilarious. And no, it's a good, you know, kind of uh, story, kind of a flip of what you'd expect. You know, these girls are planning the whole lose their virginity pack. Parents want to prevent it. You know, typically the story is done with boys in the reverse. It's got a positive message, and it's freaking hilarious. What else can I say? Yep, like I said, I want to see it, so. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely well recommended. All right, well, thank you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe, and leave a comment down below if there's something you'd like to hear us talk about in a future episode. Uh, once again, we'd like to thank Woonvog for coming on. Mm, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'll, we'll have to get you back on again some other time, maybe to talk about something other than cartoons. <laughs> Never. Definitely. Cartoons forever. Alright, as always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time, and as always, stay honorable.